our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. This is a safe space where men share their fatherhood journey. These conversations are transparent and, more importantly, vulnerable. Now, because each fatherhood story is situationally nuanced, some topics are heavier than others. The commonality found amongst all the guests is a genuine desire to help and inspire other men through telling their story. And now... Here's your host, Derek Johns. Derek Johns. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. This is a safe space for men to have vulnerable conversations about the fatherhood journey. Sometimes those conversations are heavy, sometimes they're light. Changes from guest to guest. I never know until we start the show. Start the show, we shall. The elephant in the room says that we are in a different place. I am in Atlanta. I am here for an event to help me get better at podcasting, of all things. And through that, I ran into this brother, Jovan Palmer. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. How are you, my brother? What's going on, brother? Appreciate you having me. Man, everything is great. I'm having a good time. I'm excited to talk to you for a number of reasons that we'll get into. But I want to start with uh, 315. Yes, sir. Is that correct? Did I get it right? 315, oh, wow. the Q's? Yes, sir. Q's town. The Q's, man. Quick story. I used to spend summers in Syracuse. Really? Like from sixth grade to maybe ninth grade. And, what year? Uh, oof. 90, 91 to like 94. I was there. 91, 94. Yeah, my family lived in, uh, in Camillus. Uh, yep, yep. I lived so, in Camillus. So we come up and um, like I remember going to the fair one year. Mm-hmm. It was a really cool area. And my cousin still lives there now. He's 37. Uh-huh. And he's a man. He's out, you know, trying to make a living and all that. And he was telling me, he's like, man, Syracuse is really, like, economically challenged. And I didn't know that. How, how would you characterize, like, the city of Syracuse, the feeling, the community? What, 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 what was your experience? So as a child... Cause I left Syracuse when I was 16 years old. Okay. The summer I turned 16, I left to go to North Carolina. Mm. But growing up as a child, I didn't really understand Syracuse. You know, you born and raised in a space, but it's just, I feel like my parents kind of protected me from a lot of the things that I see from the outside looking in now. Yeah. A lot of gang violence, a lot mm. of doggy dog stuff going on. Like I talked to a lot of friends 
who grew up with me in Syracuse, and like, man, it's like it's a trap, man. Just like you lucky you left. And I was like, I'm actually I am fortunate that my parents made that move because I'm not 100 percent sure what I could have gotten myself into. Yeah. As I've gotten older, um, because Syracuse is a, it's a rough place. It's like an extension of New York City. You yeah. Know, a lot of prisoners, people who were in prison in New York City, they get sent upstate. Like you ever hear like a lot of rappers say, I'm going upstate. Going That's upstate. what Syracuse yeah, is. Yeah. Syracuse is upstate. So you have a lot of criminals in a sense. Um, I hate to call them that. I don't even want to call them that, truth be told. You know, a lot of people who've done crimes, you would say. For sure. For sure. Who've gone upstate and they're kind of still living that same life. So that lifestyle for, that they carried is coming now, coming to Syracuse. It was rough. It's a small town. Everyone probably knows everybody. Yeah. And if you live on the outskirts, it's a different, totally different place. So were you in Syracuse, the city, or were you in the outskirts as well? So my zip code was definitely, it was still Syracuse, but it was kind of okay. like a little bit of an outskirt of Syracuse. Okay. Like There's like various parts of Syracuse that are kind of rough. Like, you know, parts like Matson. there's a gang called Matson. Wow. So they named the, the gangs after street names. Yeah. So you got Midland, there's probably like a gang on Midland, something like that. So economically, it's definitely, it's, it's changed since I've gone, since, mm. I've li- since I left. Yeah. Where it's being gentrified now. Where, because Syracuse University is there, and, so, and where Syracuse University is, it leads into downtown Syracuse. Yeah. Where, so they're pretty much expanding out and trying to buy up all the land, buy up all the old buildings. So, it's spaces like I looked at when I grew up as a kid, like they bought that, and I'm yeah. trying to figure out why they're buying it, but it's making sense as to why they're buying it because they're pushing out a lot of, of African Americans out of the city, of course, and pushing them out to the outskirts of you know maybe like the valley, the place called the Valley where I grew up at, the Valley. Is it's the outskirts of Syracuse mm-hmm. going that goes into like Nedro where my grandparents live at. Gotcha. So Syracuse, uh, it's, a, it's a space I'm grateful for, but it's a space I would not go back to live. I completely get that. That's how I feel about um, Hampton Rose. I'm from Hampton, Hampton and Newport News, Virginia. I grew mm-hmm. up in, and it's fond memories every time I go home. Yeah, yeah, I, for I like sure. to get in and get out, but mm-hmm. I just, like it, it hurts me that my parents are still still there. Mm. What, what was the move to North Carolina about? My parents just wanted something different for us. Um, okay. They recognized that Syracuse was getting rough. My mom has always had wanted to move. Um, she, her, she actually originally wanted to move to Atlanta. Okay. But my dad, he was like, that's too far from mom, from his mom, my yeah. grandmother. So they settled on Charlotte, North Carolina. Gotcha. And so the time in Charlotte, North Carolina, I was like, I hate it here. I want to go back home. Wow. <laughs> I, guess, I think because uh, my parents, like I said, my parents sheltered us as kids from the time from a birth to – you know, we we became adults. Sheltered you as kids. I I think I I think I was um, subject to that as well. Like my mm-hmm. parents were very religious, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah religion yeah. drove every decision, every conversation yep. mm-hmm. to a point where, I, like, I started to resent it, right? Yeah. And it was I couldn't I couldn't wait to get out yep. the house, right? What what was your experience like when 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 you when you broke not broke free that's a terrible <laughs> that's a terrible connotation but like when you when you, when you became a man and were able to make those decisions mm-hmm. what what was um what was it like for you to make that transition into adulthood I couldn't wait mm. I could not wait uh, my parents so I were in North Carolina my dad got a job in Atlanta he had a job offer in Atlanta okay that he said he couldn't resist. Most money he probably ever made in his life, he said. So they transitioned to Atlanta, and while they were transitioning to Atlanta, I was transitioning to college. Gotcha. So um, actually, I was already in college, matter of fact, and he had got the job offer. I would have started college in August, I think October, he got a job offer. Okay. And they were like, "You want? Um, are you coming to Atlanta with us? I was like, no. 
I'm staying here in North Carolina. Yeah. What school did you go to? I started off at Lewisburg College, a small school outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. And then I transferred to Winston-Salem State in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Raleigh, Raleigh is 85, right? Raleigh is 15 off of 85 or 40 off of 85? You asked the wrong person. Oh, man. I thought, <laughs> I, thought, I, thought I knew it at one time. So what what um, what was what was your relationship like with your father? I don't want to breeze over that, but what what was what was your relationship like with your dad? It was cool. Like my dad has always been in the picture. Okay. Um, he's always been so very supportive of me. Anything I wanted to do. Yeah. His his motto was, if you're in a bubblegum chewing contest, I'm gonna show up. You know. Yeah. But if I reflect back on it, like you know. I look at it now, like me and my dad, we just don't have the closest relationship like I would like us to have. Yeah. Like I would really love us to have a, a more tight-knit comp, uh, relationship. Yeah. And I believe there was some, like, yeah, I guess just going through childhood, I, you kind of reflect back on your childhood and like as an adult and you kind of like, you know, if you take yourself out of your body to look at your life, yeah. you recognize some patterns and some things that kind of happen in between time that you're like, that didn't happen to me as a child. No, I didn't get that as a child, you yeah. know? I didn't hear like a lot of I loved you from my parents. I didn't get like a lot of hugs and stuff like that. So yeah. it's kind of like our relationship is like it's there, but at times I feel like it's non-existent. How much do you know about uh, the relationship your dad had with his father? For the most part, I mean, it's never like a conversation really sat down and had, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. But I know like my, my dad, my grandfather, he worked a lot. Yeah. He worked two jobs. So I don't know, like I'm not 100% like, you know, how much they saw each other because he was working a lot. You know, I know he had a job in the daytime. He'll come home for like maybe grab dinner, see everybody, you know, and then he'll go to the second job. Yeah. So if I'm thinking about it, I don't, I really don't know. I really don't know what their relationship was. I just know that my dad was always in trouble with my grandfather. My grandfather was always, you know, you not beating him, but like, you know, just I, like, I, yeah, I, you know, the whoopings yeah. and stuff like that because my corrections. dad. Corrections. Correct, yeah. yeah, yeah, the, the corrections. physical corrections. So, um, you know, it's just, that's a really good question. I actually would love to ask my dad. Is 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 your grandfather still alive? Yeah, he's my last living grandparent. Oh my God, man, please. If nothing else comes from this conversation, please, and I'm always envious of people that had grandfathers. Mm -hmm. Like the story that I'm told is, I am just like my dad's dad. I never met him. He was gone long before my dad got, you know, was yeah. with my mom or having kids or anything. Mm -hmm. And my mom's dad, literally went out for ice cream and never came back. Wow. So I have this dynamic of one that I embody, don't know. The other, the only conversation that I had with him was telling him that he wasn't my grandfather, then he mm -hmm. passed. So what was, what was, what was having a grandfather? How did that impact? Did you spend a lot of time? Did you get any? That's my best friend. Let's talk about it. That my, that's my guy. Um, me and my grandfather, I think religion brought us both close together. Okay. And I also think that me needing somebody outside of my family brought us closer together too. So I find myself- Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you needing somebody outside. So, yeah. Why? Explain that. I was molested at 12 years old and I was the middle child. So it was like a combination of being molested and a combination of being the middle child. Like I feel like middle child syndrome really exists. Yeah because I don't, I just felt like I never really fit in with my family. Yeah. I had an older brother, an older sister who were like, you know, my brother, we're about three years, um, he's about three year difference between us. And okay. then my older sister, um, it's about a five or six year difference between she and I. And then my younger sister is like a two year difference between us. But 
my youngest sister, she was daddy's girl. My oldest brother, he was, you know, mommy's boy. Yeah. And then I'm kind of like stuck in the middle because I'm like, I don't really see myself as mommy's boy. I don't see myself as daddy's boy. And then my older sister, you know, she comes from a different relationship from my, my uh, a prior relationship my dad that had before okay. my mom. Okay. So she's, you know, she has her mom, of course, and she's living with her mom. And it's like, I'm just kind of just stuck in the middle, being either picked on by my brother and sisters, um, being picked on at school, mm. uh, not fitting in at school. Yeah very few limited friends so it's just i needed an outlet and my grandfather provided me that outlet that i needed like you know <laughs> i tell the story all the time like grandpa you remember the time you, you bust my head open because he taught he um he in syracuse like you know we have fire wood burning fireplaces yeah, my yeah, grandfather yeah. has one so he was in the um backyard he was just tossing wood and i'm just walking back there to go with my grandfather just to hang out with him i loved hanging right. out with him like wherever he wanted he was i wanted to be and the piece of wood, he tossed a piece of wood and it bust me in the head, got a scar to this day. <laughs> and he feels so, so bad about it. But it's just, he was like my outlet that, he was my safe space, I would yeah. feel like, you know, where I just needed some comfort and I just needed a good laugh and to kind of just take me away from the pain, the memories that I've had from my molestation or just being picked at. Yeah. And he always provided a sense of comfort and like no judgment or anything. So did the, uh, number one, I salute you for being as transparent and vulnerable, allowing us that 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 information to peek into that part of your life. Mm -hmm. Did it happen within the family? Yeah, yeah. Have you recovered? Yeah, I've. Well, I wouldn't say I fully recovered. Um, I feel like no one truly fully recovers. It's an everlasting journey mm. because just. When you go through a such a traumatic event like that, yeah. you never forget. I I can if you ask me to, I won't describe it. It's too deep. It's too graphic. Sure, but sure. if you were to ask me what happened, how it happened, where it happened, what it felt like, what it smelled like, I can give you all of those details to this day. To this day, but how, I'm better. How how did you how did you get the courage to address it? An ex-girlfriend gave me the courage to address it because I kept it in for years. Yeah. Um, my parents would never understand why I was so angry all the time. My parents would never understand, you know, why I shied away from men, why I was so quiet, why I was so to myself. Like I was always to myself even as a child. But it got even like I started shying away even more after that happened. Like, I just really didn't want to be around people. I wanted to be out of the house. Um, I used to cry myself to sleep at night, asking right. God why me. Um and my parents was like, you got to, you got to stop. You got to be like that. You got to stop being like that. I'm like, y'all don't understand. Were they aware of what happened? Not at all. They weren't aware of what happened until I was 19 years old. What? Wow. What was uh, what was that that conversation or conversations? Yeah, it was really like, more so just a conversation, really. Um, so my girlfriend, she encouraged me to tell. I don't know how we even got on the subject of me even telling her. Hmm. But she, it was over a Christmas break. She encouraged me to say, you know, you need to tell your parents. You yeah. really need to tell them. And I was like, all right. She kind of gave me an ultimatum. Like, if you don't, like, I don't know what our relationship's gonna look like. I'm like, oh god, oh, wow. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you young, young guy. You got, you know, nice little college little situation going on. Yeah, You're like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So right. it encouraged me to tell them. So I sat down with them during Christmas break, and we were also I was sitting, actually sitting on the couch with my mom. My dad was in the kitchen. And I was like, you know, I gotta tell y'all something. So and so did this to me while I was a child. It happened for, for about two years. Um, this is the reason why, you know, 
when y'all would tell me, you know, stop being so angry or stop being this, that, and the third, this is the this is why. Yeah. Why I was so angry towards that person, why I didn't care to be around that person. This, this is the this is now the big explanation to y'all, you all's why, if you ever wondered why. Did did that? How did that play out in the, not the immediate, well, the immediate family and also the extended family dynamic? Because mm-hmm. I imagine, was that person still alive and around? Yeah, they were yeah, still alive and around, um, but it never got out to out oh, wow. to my, you know, everyone else in the family because, you know, in a black neighborhood in our community, what stays in this house, you know, what happens in the house stays in this house. And you're afraid to tell anybody because what comes behind that statement is a lot of like anger yeah. There's a lot of, you know, fear coming out of that statement. Like, you know, I'm putting fear into you, like, you know, like, because the way it's said. Yeah. So the way it's said is like, I can't tell nobody. So that's why I never told anybody for the nine years. So were, once once you told your parents, mm-hmm. um, though it didn't go further than the house, were they, were they embarrassed, ashamed, were they... I really don't know how they felt. I just know that mom got like super quiet. Wow. And my dad was quiet and there was just like real, just like a lot of silence for a little while. And then my dad, he uh, took me upstairs to his bedroom and um, had a conversation with me. He's like, you know, I, I, I get you now. My first tattoo was on my left hand. <laughs> I hate the tattoo, but it's uh right here. No, that's the wrong one. Right here, little crazy tattoo. I, I, it's all blurred out because I kept scratching it. You know, I was young, eighteen. It says yeah. only God understands me, because at that moment in my life, I felt like God was the only person that understood me as a person. Did it? Did it? Did it? Um, did it go beyond the feeling of bis- being misunderstood? Did you ever? Were you ever in a place where you felt like? life wasn't worth living? Um, I wouldn't say I went that far. Okay. I've never, never been suicidal. Yeah. But I just always wished that I was in a different family. So you can kind of wow. say that in a sense that they, they kind of, like, I just wish like, you know, like yeah. I was born to this family or that family just to get out of the chaos or just to get out of, you know, the feeling that I felt with everything that I went through. I yeah. was like, yo, if I can just be somewhere else, I'll be fine. How old are you now? 34. 34. 15 years. Almost half of your life, you, you, well, it wasn't half your life, you carried it, but the first half of your life to this point largely was impacted by that, like that time and that period. Yeah. And you had a conversation with your parents. I wanted to ask, was there like a transfer of, responsibility in any sense it doesn't your father understood you so i guess that's somewhat progressive right mm-hmm. step in the right direction what's, yeah. your, what's your relationship like with your father now um right now it's not the best okay right um because i'm thinking back on life my parents had to come and recently move in with me and that just took everything like i think for some odd reason, distance works better with me and my parents versus us being yeah. so close together. And I'm still trying to understand why. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the topics I'm having, conversations I'm having with my therapist. Yeah. I ask, you know, why is it, why does the relationship have to be distant for it to feel good to me? 
So I'm glad you brought that point up. Uh, that's something else that I know about you. It's not a surprise uh, that I that I'm gonna put on for the audience that I don't know that you're 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 a big therapy. Uh, what do they call it? You champion therapy for sure. You're doing the work. Mm -hmm. How has it changed you thus far? And when, and when did you start therapy? I started therapy at the age of 29. Okay. Um, so the way I fell into therapy, I didn't know what therapy was. Mm. Like truth be told, um, I want I was interested in the human mind and how it works and why we act the way we do and think the way we think. Yeah. But I never knew like how to, what to put it, how to put a name on it and. No one in my family, I don't think I can recall anybody in my family ever talking about going to therapy. Yeah. And my, uh, the job I was working, I was working at a group home. And our job, part of the job was to take the kids to therapy. Like my supervisor, you know, gave me the job. I never had any experience in the field. I just got the job off of actually me wearing a suit. <laughs> well, let's, let's pull that thread for let's, let's have a quick, a quick moment of levity. How, how'd that happen? So my dad was always big on, you know, dress to impress every job interview you go. Yeah. And it was for a local nonprofit. And then my um, supervisor at the time, he's a great guy. Shout out to Kenneth Burton. Um, he was like, yo, you don't have any experience, but the way you showed up and presented yourself, he was the only person who came to interview in a whole suit and tie. There's a lesson. Yeah. So a suit and tie got me the job and didn't know anything, but when we took the kids to therapy and I'm sitting there listening on the conversations that they have with the therapist and how they can get to release all their frustration, everything that they're suppressing. I'm like, yo, that's, that's dope. I, I was like, I got a lot of stuff I need to talk about. And I asked, <laughs> I was like, yo, can I schedule a session? Like, I, wanna, I really wanna talk to you. And yeah. she was like, sure, get on the calendar. And I, the first time ever, I spewed out everything. Wow. And it was like the best feeling ever. And at that moment, between working in the group home with teenage boys and teenage girls and back and forth with them through their therapy sessions and then actually me having my own therapy sessions, which led me to become a mental health advocate and to actually want to go back to school to become an actual mental health therapist to help other men who are, who've gone through similar situations like myself or help anybody in general who's gone through a similar a situation as similar as mine. And I, I, you know, I urge everybody to go to therapy. Like, I don't care, like, you know, if you feel like you got the best of the best life because yeah. we're all either going through something, getting over something, or trying to get through something. Yeah. And I believe a therapist is the best person to help you navigate through that, you know? Yeah. I don't take any shots at coaches, you know, because coaches, they do a great job. I'm a coach myself. Right. But it's just, there's some things that coaches can't do. Yeah. And there's some things that therapists can do. Yeah. You know, that can kind of take you back because a coach can't take you to your childhood and bring you back to your adulthood. There's no way there's no way possible for them to do that because they don't have the right techniques. Yeah. You know, if you start asking me therapeutic questions and I start crying and then you don't know what to do with me, now yeah. you just open a can of worms that I got to live with for the rest of my night if I have access to a therapist. That so that is a really good point that shouldn't be taken lightly, right? So this is not therapy. I've said it on many other and I don't think any if you by some chance, confuse it with therapy. I respect the craft, uh, but we got to be we got to be very responsible with the conversations that we have for with sure. people in the vein of trying to help them mm -hmm. when we don't know how to help them beyond that point that you Absolutely. were just that you were just talking about. What what? How has it changed the way you see the world, the way you interact with trusting people, mm -hmm. men specifically? How is that process playing out for you because of therapy? Um, it's helped me become more self-aware. Mm. It's helped me see people for who they are. Mm. It's helped me see through people. 
because, I mean, we live in a broken society with a bunch of broken individuals. Like we all, especially within the black community, we all come from something that's been traumatic in our lives. Yeah. You know, there's some you know people who say, you know, I've had, I've had some conversations with some people who are like, you know, I ain't really got nothing going on because I got a podcast myself and we tell traumatic stories on it. Yeah. And a few people say, hey, man, I'll let you get on a podcast. I said, what's your story? Some people say, I, I, don't really get, I don't really have one. But you have some people who really have some, some truths and some hurts and some yeah. pains and things that they've been through that, like I said, therapy helps. Yeah. You know, I think I'm glad that therapy has become very popular in our community nowadays. Yeah. But I think we also need to take it a lot more serious, though. Yeah, it's, and it's the it's not age-old analogy, but analogy that we've definitely heard before is, is like – Therapy doesn't mean that something is wrong in for all sure. cases, mm-hmm. whether it's therapy as a single person, therapy for marriage, counseling, like you go to the gym to get to a better place. And once you get to a better place, you don't stop going to the gym right, to right. stay in that place. Mm-hmm. Some people stop going to the gym, but you don't stay in that place yeah. once you got there. How much of that parallels with your health journey? I'm not mm. going to say weight loss, but how, how much, how much of the, that, that mindset, mm. was it intentional? Was, I mean, was it just happenstance that you're on this path it's, in parallel or, or what? It's like, it's just, it's like a full circle moment where it's all just coming together. Mm. Uh, therapy has taught me to love myself more, mm. you know, how to love myself, how to care for myself, how to like, you know, protect my space and set boundaries. And Sometimes I think I've had to set boundaries with myself and look at my look at my negative patterns and my negative traits and stuff like that and really analyze, okay, Jovan, like how did you get to this your heaviest? My heaviest was about three hundred and four thirty five pounds. Wow. And right now I'm standing at, you know, two eighty nine right now today. Two eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two eighty nine. Yeah. I mean, that man, I, I saw a post. It's not my words. <laughs> it, was, it was something to the effect of the uh, these is Hawaiian rolls. These is like my man getting after it, right? He's you slim it down. You look like you. You look. You look joyful. I am, and I'm. I'm not necessarily qualified to say that because of nah, you like the time that I've known you. But mm-hmm. I think I recognize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, kind of dealing with me. I kind of see stuff in people too. What is what does joy feel like compared to life up until mm-hmm. you made that pivot and started working on you? So joy right now is just. I'm on this really dope journey hmm. where life is making sense. And pause. <laughs> you're, thir- you're 34. Correct. Salute to you. Thank you. It was 40 for me. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just life is making sense. And I've been positioned to be in the right spaces at the right time. And I'm learning what taking advantage of your opportunities means now. Hmm. And now that I'm learning to take advantage of it and purpose is now in place and I, I have a clear vision and a clear sight of where I'm going. Yeah. That's what that joy looks like for me and what it feels like because I'm connected with some of, some of the right people. I'm, you know, I'm sitting on your podcast today, you know, hey. sharing this story. Hey, share some a, light. Throw some light on this. <laughs> Throw some light on this. You know, sharing this with a dope guy. And I, I love your podcast because it's like, when you said, Dear Son, it's like these are conversations that black men don't have with their fathers. Unfortunately, and again, from the outside looking in, the dynamic is never what it seems to be, mm-hmm. right? We had we had the the cookie cutter family. Parents were church leaders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. went to church school for a time, and we couldn't communicate. Me and my dad couldn't communicate. Yeah. So for all of that's worth, and there's I think there's great value in him displaying what it is to serve. Right. Right. Serve God. Mm-hmm. Serve your community. Serve your church. I was missing some 
hey, here, here's here's why I feel like this about alcohol. Not because of what God says, but I had this experience with it. Yeah. We couldn't connect on that level, so I went to find the experience. Right, right. right. And I realized at this stage of life, I don't need the experience. I need the information from your experience. Mm -hmm. Like. I don't have to run into the same wall that you did just for us to have something in common. And I feel like that's something that we do. And as trite as it sounds in the black community, we, we, we've, we get so enthused about the negative things we have in common. For sure. And, I, and I, I'm very careful not to, to number one, undo that with my father. Mm -hmm. like, so to, to get rid of the guilt that I had for creating the distance between us and the resentment I had for the direction that he the way he managed his family, he had to manage his family, right? And he yeah. was learning on the fly too. So For sure. having children has has brought that to my attention. That's something that I don't want, I don't want to carry that into the relationship with my son where we have all of the space and opportunity to communicate and we just don't. Right, and right, it's been right. like that for some time. What do you, what, what do you want to take these what they call KSA knowledge, skills, and abilities that you're developing through going through counseling. You're back in school to become a a counseling professional. What it was the exact? So, um, so it's a master in social work, which okay. licensed me to pretty much be like you know, it's like the actual best degree that you can have in right. to be a therapist. What, what what do you perfect perfect world um, resources available? What does success look like to you? in terms of taking your pain, taking your education and your experience, taking your therapy, taking your your degree and turning it into impact to the world. Cause I don't want to box you into the community, but what, what does that look like for you? Have you thought through it that far? Yeah, so success, when I would know, like I would say I'm quite successful now. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've actually, like, I feel like I'm walking in success but there's a few things on my bucket list that I must do to say, you know what, I've made it. Gotcha. Which is one, build a house in Africa mm. just to have. Two, have a place here in the States to have. Yeah. But the biggest one is I want to build a tiny home community for foster children. So, tiny home community for foster children. Mm -hmm. The tiny home is throwing me. Why tiny? Is it just the, the footprint? The Yeah, it's just like I don't want it to be a... It's like a space that you can just call your own. There's like a okay. lot of kids in foster care who don't have a space that they can call their own where they can just lay their heads yeah. at night and say, yo, this is mine. Yeah. You know, I worked in foster care for so long and I've worked in, you know, the juvenile justice system as well. And there's mm -hmm. kids, you know, who just don't have a space of their own and they just need an outlet to kind of maybe get away from their family and kind of like, you know, have their life reinvented for them. Yeah. So I want to like create this program. It's like a year long program where they come, they live in this community. They have all the resources they need, therapy, financial help, entrepreneurship help, you know, whatever they need is going to be in this small community for them away from the world. It's like their own world. They get it created to be the well, name their house after them. They wow. get to, you know, do all types of work. So they want to do travel a little bit and they see the world and just kind of give them something different from the environment they grew up in. Yeah. I know environment is very important to, you know, the cultivation of a child to a man or a child to an um, adult, should I say. Wow. So, um, so you have thought about it. You give it, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. give it you give it some thought. Yeah. Uh, Javon, I want, I want to be, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you have a, um, a prior commitment and I hope this is the first of, of many. And I think this is, I think this is the perfect 
length and amount of information to digest because mm-hmm. I want people to understand you. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want it to breeze over. You only watch the first 15. To, I would like to have this conversation. I'd like to continue this conversation if you're open to it. Oh, for um, sure. Imagine planning on coming to Dallas again. Yeah, <laughs> so I call you when I get to Dallas, man. Yeah, My own guys is in Dallas, so uh, I definitely let you know. Yeah, word is I'm building a network, uh, but it's not about me. It's about <laughs> um, how can the people how can the people find you to to get more in tune to what you're doing and and uh, kind of keep you honest on this big dream that you had that you will accomplish? Because I yeah, I'd like to be a part of it. Oh, so for sure. How can, they, um, how can they reach out to you? Thank you, thank you. So, social media is my outlet or email. But you can catch me on social media, Jovan J. Palmer. That's J-O-E-V-A-N-J-P-A-L-M-E-R. Instagram, Twitter, all that good jazz. Good deal. All right. Well, this has been the latest installment of the Jovan Palmer show (laughs) (laughs) on the Dear Sub podcast. (laughs) Uh, Guys, I got stuff on my website you can buy, you can support. There's buttons you can push to do a lot of things to help us out. If you feel so impressed, do that. But I don't want to keep you any longer. So uh, we appreciate you guys. God bless you. The Dear Son Podcast is produced by D. John's Live Studios. All rights reserved. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you here next time. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.